0: Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroyo, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software.
1: Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today
0: at Arroya.io. Hi everyone, welcome to Arroyo Office Hours Live. My name is Keisha, I'll be your moderator for today's discussion. A couple of reminders before we get started. This hour is your chance to hear from the experts, get answers in real time about data you're seeing with your grow and share cultivation tips and tricks with other growers in this exciting industry. We thank everybody in advance for not using this time for things like airing policy or industry grievances or asking about Arroyo pricing, although you're always welcome to book a demo. Feel free to type your questions in the chat or raise your hand at any time if you have any questions. And if your question's selected, we'll have you unmute yourself and ask away. Um, anyone who asks their questions live today for the very first time, we would love to send you an Arroya hat as a thank you. And then we're going to be raffling off one of our limited edition T-shirts. Um, and so anyone who would like to enter that raffle, just post your email address in the chat for your chance to win. Jason and Philip, how are you guys today?
2: Good. Yeah, yeah. How are you? Look
0: at we're triplets. We're all matching with our shirts. I know. Have we shown these shirts? Show the yeah, can you show the back? I can I'm all yeah, kush kebab. Okay. So uh, if anybody's on with us and wants to enter our raffle by dropping your email address in the chat, you could win that one or one of our other designs, you know, because we got it going on like that. Philip, good to see you. We, uh, Jason and I were at Hall of Flowers last week. That's I heard. That's where we to miss the show. I
2: heard, yeah. No, I was here with Seth. We uh, we took care of business back home. But uh, how did you go at Hall of Flowers?
0: It was awesome. I, um, I'm i here in California, and for me personally, just being able to be back to an in-person networking event just felt really, really good. A lot of old friends, made some new friends. Jason was the one. I was basically following Jason around recording him talking to our clients. What did you think of the whole thing, Jason? That
1: was great. I uh, saw and talked to almost 20 of our current existing clients, and it was, nice. like you said, really, really nice to see people uh, face-to-face. So many of those things have only been on uh, on web chats with uh, a number of those clients. really, Really good just to see their product Talk with them about how they're using the Roya system. Talk about how it's made a difference in their product since they started using it. And it was a really, really friendly event, uh, which was quite, quite refreshing.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. It's so good to get feedback too from our clients, uh, just like in just on the spot in the moment. What kind of stuff were you were you hearing from them?
1: Yeah, uh, you know hearing things about uh, our, our relationship in control industries, uh, where we think we're going with that, a lot of roadmap questions about, about how we can uh, how we can continue spreading the wings as far as features in the product to really help people. A uh, couple of questions about production planning, and I think we've got a project on scopes for the next few quarters to really really make some strides there in our interface.
0: Yeah, it was great to also like, just be uh, out as a Roya. We haven't really had a chance to attend events because of COVID and everything. And so to have our branded shirts on, give some of those out and really kind of be present, be in that environment with, with every, all these brands, with be a part of the culture. It was just really such a cool experience. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well. We have someone on today um, who already came on, armed with a question. Why don't we start with you? Thurman, you want to go ahead and unmute yourself and ask your question?
3: Yep, can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Very good, how you guys doing?
2: Good, 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 are you?
3: Good, Um, so my issue is, um, when in a generative steer, I'm having a hard time getting the EC to build in the block, so it's always higher in my input ec but even as my water content goes down throughout the day and overnight it kind of just hovers um just above what i'm putting in so i don't know if you've seen that before or have any suggestions
1: yeah um can you tell us a little bit about how much runoff that you're getting and, and what your p1 events look like in that generative steering
3: yes yeah, so runoff is minimal um because i'm trying to get it to build so it's actually close to none mm. Um, The P1s are I probably have about six of them um, spread out 30 minutes um, until I get up to about 60% so right when it's about to run off and then I, I don't even push any.
1: Sure so if nutrients aren't building up in the substrate that means that the plant is uh, using up nutrients at the same speed as the concentration of those nutrients are increasing during the dryback back stages uh, okay. about what uh, What EC are you going with? What uh, light source do you have? And uh, what nutrient supply are you using?
3: So what was the last question? Which nutrient supply?
1: Yeah. Uh, You know, is it uh, mixed salts or uh, pre-blended?
3: I'm under LED lights. They're probably sitting maybe under 900 PPFD um, mixed salts. And I'm going in at probably like 2.4 EC.
2: Yeah. So, I mean,
1: without looking at your charts and stuff there, um, usually those plants are growing fast enough that they're using a pretty high supply of nutrients and you might consider up in your feed input. Uh, you know, a baseline is to start with your nutrient supplier's recommendations. Uh, historically, we have seen those usually across the board a, a little bit lower than, than what you can push in a high PPFD LED situation, especially.
3: Yeah, I'm already, I got to be at 150% over what they're already recommending. So I guess is the answer then just push even harder on the input?
1: Yeah, I, you know, we have really good success recommending three to 3.2 um, as a baseline in, in typical mixed salts. Um, you know, if we're thinking about like a, a Tina Pro line or, or frontline uh, or excuse me, front row ag or HGV. Uh, all those types of stuff, uh, usually in that three to 3.2 is what we like to see during flower and those plants are pushing hard for, okay. f- for feed EC, obviously your substrate EC is going to be typically a little bit higher than that. And, um, based on the amount of runoff and how fast those plants are eating, you're going to start to see that stack up a little bit faster.
3: Very good. So it's that simple. So things are good. Just push them harder.
1: Yep, exactly. And I, I think we did a blog post on this maybe a month ago, maybe three weeks ago. Um, a, lot, a lot of times historically people have referred to things as nutrient burn. Usually in cannabis, unless you're at extraordinarily high ECs, the, the plants are tolerant. And so what you're probably seeing is actually a nutrient imbalance. And a, a number of things that can cause that nutrient imbalance, probably first up would be uh, a pH that that's off. So a pH a little too high, a little too low. That's why we always recommend people doing manual readings. Uh, so go in and take your EC runoff, your pH runoff, and uh, and get an idea of what's going on with the nutrient balance in that substrate. Um, fortunately, a lot of the suppliers these days have a pretty good composition in their nutrient lines, and, and so that imbalance usually we're worried about a little bit less uh, these days than in some. Back in the past you know 10 or 15 years ago um it was it was a lot harder to get a really good product in in mixed adults
2: especially
3: okay thank
2: you hey quick question thurman when you uh you said that you were um rocking a few shots six shots to get up to field capacity and then you dry off for the rest of the day
3: yep yeah that's not how long
2: how long does it take for you to go through those six shots and how big are those
3: the shots i would Let's say okay. So, I'm I'm starting watering two hours after lights on, mm-hmm. and I'll, that window's about two and a half hours. So once I start irrigating in the morning, I'm done two and a half hours later. Mm-hmm. And shots, um, they're four percent shots, which for me is um, somewhere around two hundred milliliters, I believe. Gotcha. If I, gotcha. If I have my-
2: and what's your substrate? Uh, cocoa. Cocoa, okay. And what's the size of the cocoa?
3: I think it's tricky. I think they're a gallon and a half, so they're compressed okay. blocks. Um, if that answers your question, I'll start yeah.
2: there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm asking because, I mean, Jason, I see Seth on here as well. I'm wondering if there's a way, because, uh, I mean, I've, I've heard, I've had some discussion about this, but is there a way to, uh, in addition to mixing with your, uh, your feed EC, is there a way to stack ECs to call it that um by adjusting your irrigation technique do you think yeah you can
1: so i mean as a very generalized rule um simplifying everything in this equation is as easy as possible for dictating how much dryback you're going to get by adjusting my irrigation window so first irrigation of the day to last irrigation of the day In your case he you says it's two and a half hours so we have a um, you know, 21 and a half hour dryback period. If you need more dry back, then decrease that irrigation window, go to one hour, one and a half hours. And then as far as, uh, you know, modulating the EC in the substrate, typically looking at how much runoff. So when we irrigate, we're putting fresh nutrients in at a specific concentration, typically in the substrate, that concentration is going to be a little bit higher. So depending on how much runoff and that's assuming you have good drippers. You're not just getting irrigation channeling, um, assuming that the hydraulic conductivity through the, the media has been maintained. But so if you are running a little bit less uh, runoff, that means that all of the concentration in the substrate is mixing with the concentration in the irrigation line or the in, coming out of the drippers. Uh, obviously, if you're pushing more runoff, then it's going to be t- uh, pushing the higher concentrated nutrients out of that substrate. And that's kind of why um, when, when, after hearing your parameters, I did talk about that FDC because, you know, in this case what's going on is um, that plant is eating up the nutrients as fast as they are concentrating as that water content goes down.
3: Very good. Thank you, guys.
2: All right. Thanks.
3: Appreciate it.
0: Thurman, thank you so much for your question. Um, And also, if you have, if you can, type your email address in the chat. We will send you a hat since you're asking for the first time. And indeed, we have Seth on the line as well. So. Growers, he's joining from the road. Growers, if you have any questions, I mean, you got three experts and me. <laughs> we want to hear from you. Um, we did get a couple questions on Instagram today. Let me let me go with the that first one. This one came from Pura Cannabis. They want to know how different is poor EC to runoff EC. Uh,
1: David, so poor EC is is uh, yeah, so. I guess you'd be comparing like poor and bulk ec poor ec is uh, the nutrient concentration in a solution in this case when we're looking at a substrate we like to use poor ec um, because it's talking about the nutrient content in the water itself in that block. And um, as far as pore versus runoff, um, those should be very, very similar numbers. Um, obviously for measuring runoff, you're gonna be using a little bit different sensor than the Teros 12, you need to be using an EC sensor. Um, and, and typically, in, you know, in a block, we'll see that EC of the substrate, maybe, you know, one EC higher, uh, but that comes down to how much runoff that you're pushing. You know, those differences in concentrations from the feed to the substrate itself. So um, realistically, if your block is at three, then you should see a EC of three pour water from the Taros 12. And if your runoff is a EC of three, then you're gonna see that as a three on your EC sensor. So awesome. uh, technically, yeah. you know, they're they're equivalent numbers um, as far as an application. It's just going to depend on how much EC stacking is going on in your block, how much runoff you have. Um, like I said, it's usually when we're hitting runoff, uh, I'll see that EC in the substrate at, you know, one to two uh, EC higher than runoff.
2: Yeah, I was about to say that runoff, if anything, would be the same or, or a little bit lower, depending on how you irrigate.
0: Awesome. Great. Thank you, guys. Um, And I forgot to mention, actually, when we were talking about Thurman's question, Mandy um, posted in the chat the Knowledge Base article that we wrote about retiring the term nutrient burn. So there's the link in the chat if anybody wants to take a look at it. It's a really good article. Um, Excellent. I'll move on to our next question. And just a reminder for anybody who's on with us, if you have any questions, want to ask them live. We want to hear from you. Um, Green Drops wrote in. They want to know how do you deal with the plants that are eating a lot faster than the others?
1: Oh, that's kind of comes down to plant consistency. Um, if in this case we're gonna assume the situation is that they're different strand of plants that are eating uh, at different nutrient levels or, or different amounts in that case we always like to have a different harvest group if we can have one strain as one harvest group that's going to really allow us to limit the number of variables that are going into a growth cycle so that we can analyze them from a one-to-one comparison hmm. a lot of strains are going to choose different amounts of feed levels. And they're also going to have different time frames for when you need to do specific types of steering. And so this is where it comes into crop registration. Take information about how quickly that plant's growing. Um, You know, make sure, especially in late veg and in your first um, couple of phases in flower, get those plant heights in there. Take a look at when it stops stretching, get that documented per strain. And so if. Let's say now you are running two strains in one room. Uh, obviously, feed-wise, if one plant is, is eating a lot harder than another, it's going to be a little bit tricky. You know, typically people, you know, if you're running a dosatron setup, then you'd have to be running different feeds and modifying the um, concentration rates coming out of there. If you have a, a you know, slightly more advanced system uh, for injection, then sure you might have the opportunity to just run them on on separate irrigation cycles where you are modifying the the concentration of the nutrients um the best way to do it is just run one strain per harvest group the other situation here would be that uh you know different plants being uh all just different plants within one strain and then that's going to come down to to growth consistency what do your cloning practices look like what how come even with limited genetic differences, you know, plant to plant. When we clone, it's really awesome because the genetics are extraordinarily similar. Um, there's, there's very little genetic expression that's different than the, the mother plant when we are taking those clones, which makes this a unique and nice industry for doing population statistics. Um, and so, you know, check out the, the growth behavior slides that I've, I've produced in the past that just talks about some of the processes that do cause differences in plants you know is there environmental um, variability within the room do you have microclimates uh, is there some irrigation issues that would be causing a plant of the same genetic to be growing at a different rate than another one of that same genetic mm. uh, so it really kind of comes into what i call a uniformity and so uniformity is one point in time what does a similar plant compared to a similar plant of that same strain right so if all of the control processes were were done well then every plant within one strain would be on a a very skinny standard of deviation those things are going to grow all very very similar to each other if some of the practices are are a little bit less uniform say you know you're Clone cutting practices uh, have some consistency or uniformity to be desired. Um, maybe your, your room needs some HVAC upgrades. Uh, maybe your de isn't similar uh, from one plant to the next. Those are the types of things that can, can cause uh, issues as far as uniformity, and then therefore one plant eating slightly different than another
0: of the same strain. That's great. Thank you for that, Jason. And actually, we got another question related to um, that from Turp Queen. They wanted to know, how can I optimize recipes and harvest groups to dial in my craft cultivars? I was wondering, can you guys just maybe give an overview of Arroya's recipes and harvest group features?
1: Yeah, we, we sure can. Um, let me jump in and I'll share my screen on this uh, on this computer here. And we'll show a little bit about how that stuff works. Have to do it. Hmm? I'm not in. That's all right. I'm on the I'm on the call, so people can see it from my um, my screen share here. All right. So let's talk a little bit about recipes, grow cycles, harvest groups. I'll just start off with the terminology that we're using. So, when we talk about a harvest group, it's talking about uh, plants in a similar time frame being treated very similar. So, mm-hmm. usually it's going to be uh, one strain in a room, um, or you're going to do, you know, if you do have mixed cultivars in a room, then populate those cultivars together. So, in this case, these are my harvest groups. I'm looking at this top one is a, a monocrop. We've got a banana OG and flower one. We know we're birth date and we know our harvest date and obviously we have some action items that are related to compliance for this um harvest group down here you know, we've got some alien diesel some og kush some purple rain they, these are in propagation and we can see the time frame for this projected growth cycle so harvest group is just trying to document stuff uh, in a group of selected population that is going through the same process. And that makes it nice to compare later. You know, a harvest group is simply a grow cycle. And we we offer the opportunity to track it through propagation, through veg, through flower, and through the drying cycle, so that you can capture as much of the inputs related to the output of that product as possible. And once we have done that many a times, then it gives a basis of data, a database of information that we can start to draw analytics from. And obviously the the more harvest groups that you run with limited variability across um, your grow template, which is what we call a recipe, the better idea you have on how projectable the growth of those plants can be. Right. And so uh, if we are making changes, then we can highlight and take a look at those changes if improved the output and performance of that crop, or if they've decreased it. Mm-hmm. And so being able to keep a stack of recipes, which talks about what different variables have these plants gone through. Let's take a look and see if we've got some with targets. No, we don't have any with targets. That's all right, we can talk about them. So in this case, this recipe is specifically for some cookies and gelato, and that's a sample recipe. Let's get a recipe that's a little bit more realistic here. All right actually let's just jump back into back into that one looks like we need to do some work in here to clean up some of our uh, demo data anyways so in this case we're looking at one two three four five different phases of growth in this and in this case down here we can see we've got a prop stage a veg stage and then three phases in our flower stage for Manipulating this, uh, it's great to start with a baseline. I like to have one of my first recipes when I begin using Arroyo as the way that I had planned to do it before I was using the system. And so we'll talk about, let's do a 14-day propagation. And let's do, actually, let's get a little faster. I think we can get propagation done in 10 days. And we're going to do... 20-day veg, just a little bit slower-growing plants. We're going to let it get a bit taller before we actually implement our uh, initial genetic steering or generative um, steering here. So let's run generative steering for three weeks. And we'll run vegetative for another three. And then we'll do five days of ripening. Mm -hmm. I also like to have one phase in here just called harvest. And I'll make harvests basically one or two days. And this is where I... Sorry, guys, I'm having a hard time seeing the screen because it's so bright in here. This is where I'll call it one or two days. And this is where I have my alerts begin to deactivate, right? So the nice thing about tracking a harvest group is all this data is in reference to where the plant is at in its growth cycle so when we start this harvest group it's going to know i'm going to be done in 11 weeks from cutting this clone that's 79 days and throughout these stages it's easy to communicate what type of crop steering that we're trying to be doing how long that plant's been in there what type of tasks and alerts need to be set for that uh, phase and so in this case i'll always leave my harvest date without any targets and alerts because i don't want whole bunch of sensors blowing up my phone with notifications when the sensors get unplugged from the substrate right
2: this really drives back to to Keisha's question about you know um different strains and different um craft that you're trying to make like you really dial in your recipes and, and your target ranges to what that specific strain or whatever you're growing whatever that needs right just what Jason is doing here
1: And so for alert notifications, we actually have two options. And um, for, you know, this first generative, we could talk about, you know, having our UC between 4 and maybe 12 at the high end, and that's a target range. So what we do is differentiate a target range and an alert range. A target range is where you really want that plant that parameter to be at so you know for see if we're targeting between 6 and 12 that'll be our ideal conditions you know if we start to see that at 14 15 uh, peak on a day-to-day basis we're not going to get super concerned that's maybe not where we need an alert yet so we always like to have some dead band between our target ranges and our alerts so maybe i say alert me only if we go below four or above 20. And that way, every time I do get an alert, it's something that I probably need to make an action item on, right? When I talk about setting these for anybody's facility, I like to have them look, go back and look at their data. And when no equipment breaks or no set points are created incorrectly, what are the ranges that they can actually stay within? And so if, if we look at that historical and set the alert ranges based on that, then we know, hey, Anytime we get a notification, it's usually because something is actually really wrong in there Maybe not just a a little bit off of where we absolutely want to be as the perfect harvest, but uh, Something has been broken. So obviously if that's getting way too high, maybe there was a a mix that was too hot in our in our nutrient batch Maybe uh, if it went way too low under four per se, maybe we forgot to mix it all together Any of that type of stuff and we offer alerts for almost any type of sensor data that we collect. So in this case, taking keeping an eye on EC, temperature of the substrate, water content, light, absolute humidity, relative humidity, uh, air temperature, VPD. If you've got an ES2 in your, um, in your feed lines, in your irrigation supplies, or in your batch tank, absolutely set that thing up with uh, alert ranges and it'll just keep tabs on making sure that all your processes are being done to expected. And so I'll, I'll keep going on, on yeah, recipes. I love recipes because this is the framework that we use to help people stay consistent. When we talk about continuous improvement, it's saying let's document everything that went into this cycle and for the next cycle, do we want to run it slightly different or do we want to keep it the same and know exactly what the, the output of that product will be so in this case we're in and add some tasks maybe we're doing some specific uh de-leafing. maybe we want some ipm tasks that are outlined for this entire harvest group and once we save this as a template we can simply apply it to the next harvest group that we're doing i like to have recipes for if we're using different types of substrates if we're using plants that have very different time frames or different target parameters uh, mm-hmm. depending on the cultivar so go ahead build out the recipes in, in chunks and groups that you need to describe how that growth cycle happens
2: yeah and to I mean just to iterate on what you're saying like harvest groups and recipes are really crucial to arroya because there's a lot of growth that aren't using recipes or 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 um harvest groups they use the sensors to plug them in and then just monitor on a daily basis the thing is with that is that you're let's say you have an indoor grow 10 flower rooms and you rock um, 5.7 harvests a year right that's about 50 um, you know over 50 chances on 10 flower rooms over 50 harvests a year where you can learn and you can reiterate and grow uh, and improve yourselves compare that to outdoor you have like one If you have two fields, maybe two harvests a year, if you have an autoflower or something like that as well. Um, So there is a a, a ginormous uh, opportunity to learn and improve. And that is why we created harvest groups to collect data in a record and then compare yourselves every single time. And on top of that, everything that we're doing in Arroyo, both now, but also new features and things like that, that we are developing, you know, stay tuned. It is based on harvest groups. So if you're not already using harvest groups, jump on it. These recipes that Jason um, just went, the, the, the recipe creator that Jason just walked us through, that is something that you do once, and then you kind of update that as you go and you update your recipes as you improve. But that is, that is not a difficult thing to do. And then once you get started with harvest groups and, and log all of that data for every single cycle, now all of a sudden you can get access to new features that you weren't able to do before. Like for instance, uh, get some analytics that you weren't able to be do, uh, that you couldn't do before. Use uh, harvest features that typically was only assigned um, or reserved for metric states. Now we're just about to release a way for everyone to use scales, Bluetooth scales, and and be able to harvest plants through Arroya. But the only way to do it is by actually using harvest groups because that's how. Um, that's what Roy is built around and that's, what's going to give you that extra value out of the platform.
1: Yeah. And, and to, to reiterate that it's the only way that even very intelligent people can harvest this much data and make use of it. So uh, you know, a lot of times when you think about how can we help a, a company be more productive? Mm-hmm. Well, that means that they've got to be communicating with their sales teams about what's going to be coming down. The sales teams need to be communicating with them. Hey, in six months, what do we need to be shelving from, from the supply line? And that's going to help everybody in that channel grow the right product, keep the right clones, have healthy mothers on stock and hit the timelines that they, they're based on needing in order to be as successful as they can. Obviously, if uh, some of our our dispensaries are expecting an amount of product or, or they sold some product that's really, really hot on the market right now, they, then we want to make sure that we can keep those shelves stocked for them because that's how we're going to sell as much product as we can and build the brand name. So right. And Philip was talking about the analytics here, and I just pulled up one of these pages. This is our, our cultivar profile page, and, and this is a fairly simple analytics that talks about how many times uh, or how many plants that we've done of that strain, uh, how many times we've planted them, and then metrics like plants per square foot, weight uh, wet per square foot, dry per square foot. Any of this information that's going to help our cultivation staff pick out the best type of product to be growing, and then. My favorite way is, I, I like to call it strain strain scoring. So we get some information from the sales team that says these are the hottest selling products. We get some information from the processing team saying these are the products that we can process most efficiently. So that's like you know, large buds versus small buds versus um, keef versus uh, any of the swag product coming off there. And then score it and say, all right, this is something that we can grow a lot of. It's processed easy, it sells well, and, and start focusing your brand in on those strains. And that's going to help kind of keep the entire company focused on what's the most profitable way to meet market demand and differentiate their buds. Another um, analytics that we can go into, actually, let's just jump into one of these and we can see, let's look at some Gelato 420. We did 2,268 of these plants. And it's going to show us some information about how we usually grow it. We've got, looks like a few different recipes that we've used to grow this product. And our our, our total dry weights are slightly different. So we want to look at what is the efficiency of each of these cycles. And and what do we want to use for our next cycle to replicate and improve the, the type of crop steering, the environmental parameters, the labor activities, IPM events that contributed to this plant being as successful as possible. And and this one doesn't show it, but it's also great to go in and when you are doing your crop registration, take some pictures of what's going on during that cycle. If we dig into each harvest group, and this is how you're going to select and say, all right, this one grew substantially better than some of our other harvest groups what did we do this time that made it so effective we can jump in here and if you are taking pictures you know look at your gallery see how that bud development turned in you know take pictures of any of the the challenges that you're having in the room it just gives you a mental reminder to to in your brain step back into that harvest group. Uh, it could be a year ago, we've got clients that have been capturing harvest groups for two, two and a half years, and they have a huge library of database to understand how to improve a specific uh, strain. And, and maybe it's sometimes it's you know limited release where we haven't grown that strain in eight months, in a year, uh, and we want to go back and have a basis on what, what we need to be running it like. And so this is a great way to Keep an eye on what what types of tasks, how many tasks were going on, what the crop steering looked like for those different segments. Target ranges, if you set target ranges, this is really cool because we'll calculate and say this is how close you were to staying on target. In this case, we had 16 days and 7 hours outside of our EC targets. And it'll show us this for any of the parameters that we're looking at. So in this case, we may not have done a real great job with our, our water contents and and we were kind of low starting off so we just were 38 days outside of target range and obviously you're always trying to shoot for if we have a great target let's apply and grow exactly how we intended to so that target's just talking about ideally what can we achieve if everything goes perfectly well plant development this is talking about some of your crop registration information So, leaf area index. What we're doing is we're using the solar cell on the Taros twelve to calculate a percentage of um, light penetration through the whole canopy. This could obviously be affected by, obviously, plant morphology. What what type of shape does that strain take? can be modified by uh, changing your planting density Are you know, are we running 0.6 plants per square foot or are we running one plant per square foot. And then obviously de practices are also going to change this. Uh, a couple things to kind of keep in mind is if we can have a lot healthier under canopy, a little bit more development in those um, typically what would be a larfier area of the plant, then we can get more a buds out of there. We can get more, get more larges and, and sell a, more more cost-effective product coming out of the room. And obviously there, there's a, a fine balance there because if we have our plants way too dense, we're gonna have more larvae product. And if we have our plants uh, spaced out too much, we're not utilizing that space as best as possible. So that's a great number to kind of keep an eye on. Canopy height. This currently is a manual reading. Like I was saying earlier in this show, crop registration Per strain is critical for crop steering, especially. If we want to know when to sp- change back to vegetative steering uh, mid-flower, then we need to know how quickly we've decreased the rate of stretching during our generative stacking phase early on in flower. And another really critical point there that you can use your, your canopy height for is, is plant height coming out of edge. So if obviously we have... Uh, a restricted plant height maybe we're doing a two stack then we need to make sure that we're not letting those plants veg too tall so that we can keep control of them later on in flower and that's you know that's one number that you're gonna have to work on your timelines and that plant canopy height to understand the best steering practices the best number of days to run each strain Same diameter, same kind of thing. Just looking at the morphology of the plant to document and understand its uh, preferred growing parameters. We can look at our pest events, how often are we doing it, what type of event. We can look at uh, just the general variation, our sensor readings. We can take a look at our yields, understand what, uh, what our efficiencies are, what happened to this product after it was dry, how much moisture lost, how much waste, what the ratio is of our um, different quality products. And all of this is going to roll into what we call as our facility performance page. And this is, if you will, the, the end-all be-all for the analytical output of an entire facility. And people, multi-state operators, MSOs, um, people that have a good number of cultivation sites maybe in, in one state, really nice place to compare your different facilities as well. So if we wanted to select one site and compare it to another, we can do that here as long as we have privileges to, to access each of those sites. And this is a great way just over time to take a look and understand, are we winning or are we losing? So if I look at our stats and averages for the last year, we can see uh, that obviously we've got a couple, nice couple of stair-step gains. Um, from a number of harvest groups that we ended up doing quite a bit better than we had historically we allow you to look at this data in a number of different metric terms that that's just going to help you break down which part of the cycle you know cultivation process a processing process uh, that made an improvement or decreased an improvement and that just gives you an overview of your inventory Uh, the efficiency looks like we're you know up 9% 9% uh, in the last period it shows our all-time lows our all-time highs typical duration of these cycles and then just some other miscellaneous stats about m- mortality rate our room downtime obviously if we can decrease our room downtime we're going to be creating more product um,
2: every year hmm. yeah all of There's which is an incredible amount of data yeah, I mean, all of which, you I mean, as long as you start using harvest groups, you'll get access to all of this because this is what Arroyo does, among other things. And so
1: we do metric integration uh, with a good number of states. Right now we're in California, Colorado, Michigan, Maine, um, did I say
2: Nevada? Nevada.
1: Yeah. And we definitely encourage you to take advantage of our metric integration. Pick up one of the OHA scales that we put a Bluetooth module in. does a quick, automatically uh, weigh your plants. So you just scan your RFID. That's going to select the plant tag and, and then weigh the plant. When it stabilizes, it's going to push it right into our system. You know, Ask your reps about that touch-to-harvest system. It's a great way just to get your information into our harvest groups and a great way to consolidate how much work you are doing with uh with the metric interface itself Uh, our metric integration is based on those plant life cycles so it's just going to follow that group of plants and you're going to confirm the actions that you need for compliance events that are required at the different stages in its life cycle
0: so you're already doing the work and just at the end you got one click sync with metric
1: exactly that's exactly right and um exciting news for the states that uh, are metric integrated and we're not providing that yet. And then states that aren't metric, then we have our generic harvest flow coming out and we'll be releasing obviously the scales with that system. Encourage people get it set up, start getting the efficiencies of a touchless harvest system, start getting the efficiencies of having your harvest weights in here and being able to analyze the different outputs from every grow cycle.
0: Yeah, whiteboard can't do that. Awesome, thank you, God. That was so good. What an excellent overview. Um, I have just one last question submitted, and this came from Baby Got Dryback. They are asking, and I, we love this topic. Why do you say growers should avoid the word "flesh"?
1: It's just one that that I, uh, you know, I always get a little pet peeved about and simply because it's not a very definitive term. Uh, You know, historically it has meant a a number of different things in in the cultivation industry. It seems like it's mostly only related to cannabis and and where we come from in the underground growing scenes. Uh, You know, what people mean by flush, does that mean that you're decreasing your EC? Does that mean you're increasing your amount of runoff? Does that mean that you're? putting no nutrients in there and pushing uh, just a straight RO. So there's not a lot of definition to it. And I think that probably there's some misunderstanding where when people are communicating, they all think that flush is the same thing, which when someone tells me flush, I really don't know what they're talking about as far as which of those variables that they're manipulating. Mm -hmm. And I really definitely prefer to call it ripening um, because there's a lot of ways to skin a cat or in this case, a lot of ways to finish up a cannabis plant. And rather than talking about, uh, you know, a specific way to do it, I'm talking about the goal. Uh, I want my, my buds to get bulked out. I want my trichomes to start ambering. And I want to avoid any foxtailing. And uh, make sure that the product is going to represent the hard work that's gone into the, you know, two, three months uh, of growing.
0: That's real. Don't say flesh, folks. It's not specific enough. Perfect. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Philip. Those were all the questions we had submitted this week. You have anything else you want to say before we sign off?
1: Yeah. Um, just to, to go on the flush thing, that's what you used to do with all your weed. When the cops came to the door back in the days, um, it was a much different thing than cultivating.
0: We don't want any more to do with that. <laughs> awesome those are great closing words philip and jason thank you so much again for your wonderful wisdom today um, thurman if you're still on if you can stick around for a couple minutes i want to get your contact info so we send you an araya hat and everyone else thank you so much for joining us today um, for aria office hours if you have any questions about araya about how it can be used to improve your cultivation production process or any other topic you'd like covered during a future office hours session, please post it in the chat. Send us an email to support dot Arroyo at metergroup.com or send us a dm on instagram we definitely want to hear from you we record every session we're going to email everyone in attendance a link to the video from today's discussion it'll also be on the Arroya youtube channel like subscribe and share while you're there and if you find these conversations helpful please do spread the word we we love having cultivators on we want to talk about what you're doing so thank you all so much for joining us and we will see you next time thanks nice. thank you guys Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through
1: our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io.